and welcome to Device Week, a podcast from MedTech Insight. I'm senior reporter for Dose Alfruk, also known as Danny. Swedish startup Integrum won U.S. Food and Drug Administration pre-market approval in December for its novel device for amputees, the Oprah Implant System. But Oprah's story stretches back decades, and the road to FDA approval was a bit bumpy for the company. Here to talk about this interesting case study in approvals is MedTech Insight Executive Editor, Sean Schmidt. So Sean, tell us about this Oprah prosthetic. Probably the best place to start is with its name. Obviously, we're not talking about the Oprah. Uh, Yes, it does have a name that sticks with you for obvious reasons. So Oprah, that's O-P-R-A, is short for Osseo-Anchored Prosthesis for the Rehabilitation of Amputees. Oprah is the first implant system available in the United States that's intended for use by adults with above-the-knee amputations who cannot use or who are anticipated to have problems with a conventional socket prosthesis. Like you said, Oprah was cleared for use in the United States in December, but the manufacturer that makes the device, Integrum, had previously secured a humanitarian device exemption, or HDE, for the prosthetic from the FDA in 2015. But Oprah has a longer history. It gained a CE mark from Swedish regulators way back in 1998 and was first used by a patient in 1990. Wow, yeah. You know, I grew up in Sweden in the 90s. Uh, When I read your story on this, it surprised me that the device was around when I was going to school there. Well, although Oprah has a history that spans more than three decades, Integrum founder and owner Rickard Bronemark told me in an interview that the device hasn't changed much since the first patient used the prosthetic in 1990. In fact, he actually calls Oprah a, quote, new technology. That's because the theory of osseo integration for this type of device is still to some extent, a new technology because it hadn't been widely embraced by the medical community for many years. And your story explains why Oprah is such a unique novel device, despite being, as you said, more than 30 years old. So if listeners want to check that out, they can at medtechinsight.com. So we won't go into it here. But let's talk about the data that Integrum had to dig up for the FDA in support of its PMA. I found that very interesting. It sure is. So Integrum worked with a team at the law firm Hogan Lovells to secure its PMA. And I was told by a partner at the firm, Jonathan Kahan, that he wasn't sure that the FDA would ultimately approve the device. He said gaining approval wasn't necessarily a slam dunk, and he said it was a very difficult project to work on. That's because decades worth of data on Oprah, a lot of it located outside the United States, had to be rounded up in support of the prosthetics PMA. Now, usually device makers don't go to the FDA for approval with existing data that they already have to tailor to what FDA is requiring, but that's exactly what Integrum and Hogan Levels did. Some of the data that the FDA asked for and Integrum had to dig up was more than two decades old, and Bronemark said his company even found old scanned x-rays stored away in Sweden that was used in support of the PMA. Now, Kahan told me that the FDA asked for a lot of data on adverse events related to Oprah, as well as data on long-term follow-up. 
He said Integrum also gathered data from former investigational centers and commercial centers that had used the prosthetic, and he noted that that type of data was critical for FDA approval. So basically, Integrum didn't want to conduct a full new multi-center study if it already had existing data that it could send to the FDA? That's right. That was the idea. And Kahan said the FDA wanted that retrospective data because patients who are fitted with Oprah will use the device for a very long time. I'm wondering, why did Integrum go the PMA route and not take the FDA's breakthrough device's pathway if it's such a novel technology? It seems like designating it a breakthrough device would be the way to go. That's a good question. Kahan told me that the FDA's breakthrough devices program is primarily designed to help speed a product through the investigational process, whereas Oprah was at what he called the other side of the approval process. The device already had an HDE, and the PMA was already being worked on. So basically, Integrum had already long set sail in its PMA quest, so using the breakthrough pathway just didn't make sense. Okay, so since you mentioned Oprah's humanitarian device exemption again, let's talk about it a bit. Yes, before there was a PMA for Oprah, there was the device's 2015 HDE, which was limited at first to 4,000 patients, but was later expanded to 8,000 as part of the 21st Century Cures Act. Integrum had the support of Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, and many patients there were treated with Oprah under the HDE. After some time, it was apparent to the company and officials at Walter Reed that there were people who were in need of the novel prosthetic, but fell outside the narrow scope of the HDE. So that was one motivating factor for Integrum to go after the PMA. Another motivating factor is that a company that holds an HDE can only keep that exemption as long as another manufacturer doesn't put a PMA-approved version of the same device on the market. Once that happens, the company's HDE is revoked. So Integrum wanted to beat other prosthesis manufacturers to market with its novel technology. So how were interactions between the FDA and Integrum and Hogan Lovells did everything go smoothly? Maybe not so much at first. Um, Kahan said that working with the FDA to get the PMA approved was bumpy at the beginning because the agency's Center for Devices and Radiological Health was in the middle of a massive reorganization. Oh, yeah, the infamous super office reorganization. That happened a few years ago. Yeah, the reorganization began in 2017 and lasted for two years. It essentially dissolved and replaced the Office of Compliance, the Office of Surveillance, and biometrics and the Office of Device Evaluation with the new Office of Product Evaluation and Quality Super Office. Kahan said the device center's reorganization made the PMA process somewhat messy, but ultimately after a few months, the FDA and Tegram and Hogan Lovells were all on the same page moving in the same direction. Okay, interesting stuff. I know you go into a lot more detail in your story, so listeners can check that out at medtechinsight.com if they want to know more. Uh, but was there any advice that Integrum or the team at Hogan Lovells had for manufacturers going through the PMA process? Sure. Uh, Kahan said his number one tip for firms is to plan out a strategy with the FDA. And he also told me that communication is key. The more that companies and the agency talk, the easier it is for those firms to avoid taking a wrong step. That's right. It's always a good idea for device makers to talk with FDA as appropriate to make sure the approval process goes as smoothly as possible. 
though we are also getting reports that communication with the FDA has gotten more difficult because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for that report, Sean. Listeners, you can check out this case study story online now at medtechinsight.com. And for all the latest medtech policy and regulation news and analysis, you can follow us on Twitter at medtech underscore insight. For now, thanks for listening.